Greetings, my ghoulish friends. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers podcast part of your morning, day, evening, hmm, whenever you're listening and wherever you're listening from, it is absolutely appreciated. Those tunes are, of course, courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey, and as always, I am your host with the ghostly most, Tessa Morrow. So, the past several days, I've been running around like a manic fool doing a million things and not enough time to do them all. Isn't that life though, right? And as you listen to this episode, I myself am driving back from my home in Colorado and over to North Carolina for the season. And even though it's crazy busy times, I wanted to make sure you had an episode for today, that being the glorious Monday. I am doing yet another true tale for the creepy soul type of thing. And I hope you enjoy them. So here we go. So first up comes from my friend Sean Todd, who's the founder of Black Swamp Paranormal. And he started investigating the paranormal when he was just seven years old, believe it or not. Besides investigating the paranormal, Sean also investigates urban legends. He is out of Ohio and boy, he has so much to share. I really need to get him on here sometime, but I know he's been a super busy dude. I will read this now. And it's titled, The Spiritual Monk. I had a best friend who was a non-believer. We got a chance to investigate. There was a Nazarene orphanage several years ago. I am unsure of the dates, but somebody killed several of the kids and started a fire. It sat abandoned for many years. It was all boarded up and they were getting ready to convert it to office spaces. We got a chance to go into this place the night before they started construction. We asked for the keys, and they told us there are no keys, but that there's a loose board and a window, and we must get in through there. We climb in and get into this place. It's all dusty, all the furniture and whatnot. Well, we are in the hallway, and we look ahead, and it looks like a monk in a robe staring at us. We stood there. We're watching. We were speechless. Suddenly, the arms spread out on this thing and it rushes us. We both ran. We both jumped through the window that we came in through. I ended up breaking my ankle and my arm. Hurt some ribs as well. Let's just say, my friend, he's a firm believer now. I've converted a few. Well, I just have to say that sucks that he hurt himself. Broken ankle and arm. Ouch, for sure, but what a sighting that must have been. And it is great when you convert somebody who used to be a skeptic. This one also comes from Sean, and it's titled Heartbreak in Melbourne. There's a bridge in the town of Melbourne, Ohio. This happened, I believe, right after the Korean War. A kid was coming back, and his girlfriend lived on the other side of this bridge. He found out that she had moved on without him, got married, Well, the poor guy ended up wrecking his motorcycle and died on that bridge. There's the urban legend that on the night of his death, the anniversary, 
you can see him. One of the earlier paranormal shows, this was before Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures and whatnot, there was a cameraman who got the crap beat out of him. He had no idea how it happened. He was just standing on the bridge. They were there standing on the bridge because it was the anniversary of the night of the accident, right? And this guy was on the other side of the bridge and they see this light and he gets knocked down below the bridge. He got really hurt. He had to be hospitalized. I've gone to that one several times. We've gotten some stuff from there. Smaller EVPs, but not a whole lot of activity from that certain location. Well, one night we were going there. We were driving hearses. A friend of mine owns a haunted house and had hearses, and so we would often drive them around. Anyway, we witnessed one of our investigators getting thrown about 15 feet. This was in the middle of the bridge. I was setting up and heading back to the other side of the bridge. This guy had no idea what had happened. He had huge bruises on his chest afterwards. He was picked up and he was tossed. It was very aggressive and very negative. This was not the date of the anniversary, mind you, but when that date comes around, you'll see like 30 cars here. It's kind of a hit and miss on this bridge. Very crazy stuff. So that's one of the urban legend sites that Sean has investigated several different times. And again, dude has just so much going on. It always blows my mind whenever I hear him talk about just everything that he had been through, like the native Thunderbird and just so many other different things. So definitely need to keep my fingers crossed and get him on here at some point. Next up, I'm going to read a tale that my friend shared with me, Angie Velasquez. That name probably sounds familiar since she has been on both the radio show and podcast, including the most recent Halloween episode. Angie is out of Colorado, and she talked about on the Halloween episode about the St. James Hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico, where we had just gone back in September. So here is more about that location, and it's titled The Spirits of St. James Hotel. The most active location that I've ever investigated to date is the St. James Hotel in Cimarron, New Mexico. The Ghost Adventures crew had been there in the past. I watched their program, and I really liked that episode. I realized it was only around two and a half hours from my house. So my husband and I, we had gone out there, and it was really interesting stuff. There's so many people from a long time ago that stayed there, like Doc Holliday, Annie Oakley, Jesse James, Wyatt Earp, and his family. They stayed there while on their way to Tombstone, Arizona. Just so much history. One of the stories there, there's a man named TJ that was caught cheating while playing cards upstairs in the gambling room. He was shot in the back while going back to his room, which was room number 18. He died there, just right there on the floor. And I guess if anyone goes in that room, they get really sick or something happens to them. So they locked that room completely shut. Well, we stayed across the hall from room 18. My husband had kind of made fun of the situation there, kind of taunted TJ a little bit. Well, my husband became very ill. He had an upset stomach the whole time that we were there. About 20 minutes after we left, he felt better. Now he's really a believer. He wasn't a believer until then. 
I had asked them if we could go to TJ's room and they told me, no, don't even ask us that. We will get fired if we let anybody go in there. I guess they take that room very seriously. They told me the room across the hall was very good. I sat out in the hallway talking to TJ. It was sometime after midnight. I kind of just sat there talking and I get an EVP. It was of a man's voice saying, come here. He said it a few times and I thought that was kind of creepy after I went home and listened to it. Also, walking back into my room with the recorder, I heard a help me. It sounded loud and really drawn out. Help me. It was rather clear. Help me. When I heard it, I kind of felt really bad. My favorite experience while at the St. James was when we had first got to the hotel. We went upstairs and we were the only ones there. My husband walked down one hallway and I walked down the other hallway. There's a community bathroom up there and the toilet was running. So I went in and I jiggled the handle. When I came out of the bathroom, I stood there looking at a picture. I heard a disembodied voice saying, thank you. I thought that was really weird. I look around and my husband, he's way down on the other side of the hall. It was really neat. Then, sometime around four in the morning, my husband and I could both hear footsteps walking down the hallway. We never heard any footsteps walk back. I did open the door and there was nobody there. When we asked again, they told us again we were the only guests on that floor. It was really phenomenal. It was a great experience. And it really is a neat place. I, I just am a huge fan of small town. And so when we went there, it was just such a sweet, welcoming place. And like she said, just jam-packed with history. And in the Halloween episode, you heard about the rules, the old Wild West rules. Still cracks me up. Good stuff. Then there's a second story of Angie's I want to read, and it's titled My Poltergeist. One of my earlier experiences happened when I was just a teenager. It's one that has stuck with me for a very long time. There was poltergeist activity. As many people know, poltergeist activity is created by a living person. It's never been a living spirit. It can be created by people who have mental issues or teenagers. They always have a ton of drama. So the poltergeist activity started when I was 19 years old. I was at home with my son. We were the only ones there. My sister, she had come home later that night. We didn't really get along that well. She would come home late and be really loud. And I would have a hard time getting my son to go back to sleep. So I went out there and I confronted her, telling her that she needed to be quiet. We kind of get into it. We yell at each other back and forth. It gets really nasty. I went my way and she went the opposite way down the hall. As soon as I got back into my room, I can hear every single cabinet in the kitchen opening and slamming shut. I could hear the silverware slamming around in the drawers. I went out there immediately, and at the same time, my sister came out at her end of the hall. We just stood there, and I told her, I'm going to be very unhappy if my son wakes up. She told me I didn't make those sounds. I could tell that she was scared. I told her that I didn't do it either. So, we were both a little freaked out. I've never had that happen before, and I've never had it happen since. That's my poltergeist experience. Next up, I'm going to share a tale from my friend Ian Vero, 
who's from across the pond. He's been on the radio show and podcast several different times. He is a special type of paranormal investigator. He conducts investigations in people's homes. Kudos to him. I could not do that. Here is an experience from him, and it is titled Our First Possession. We had what is probably our most mind-blowing case very recently, actually. We got called in midweek. A daughter of a former client called, telling us that her mom was not her usual self. It was not her. We turned up and ended up dealing with our first possession. There were a few moments when I thought this could go terribly wrong, but we handled it. It was such a negative spirit. We managed to weaken it, and Brandon saw an opportunity to get it out of her, and he took it. We knew this negative spirit was scared of us. We had the upper hand when it went from taunting us to being aggressive and threatening to stab us. Plus the fact that Brandon tricked it into giving us its name. And moments later, Brandon took it from her and binded it. Her voice was different. It was deep. And afterwards, her throat was terribly sore. Unfortunately, since this was an urgent and last minute thing, I just grabbed the cleansing gear and we ran. This would have been an interesting one to film, but we had no time to prepare for it. This was attached to her for a while, and it gets worse. This spirit was a child rapist. We're trying to learn more about him and how he died. Ooh, yeah, talk about negative. Child rapist? Those are some of the worst of the worst, for sure, so... Hate to say it, hate to be disrespectful to the dead, but I hope this child rapist died a horrible death. Next up is a friend of mine from also across the pond, and he is one of Ian's teammates for their paranormal team, Anthony Stringfellow. Awesome dude, and he had a bunch of shares as well. I will be reading what's titled My Attachment. I suffered from an attachment for several years. I have an old friend that I grew up with in Australia. He studied shamanism and spiritualism from a very early age. He is a very talented and gifted tutor of energy channels and is also a very good exorcist, you can say. I went to Stockholm. He lives there now, Daryl. He's fantastic. I got there and I wasn't in a right state. I hadn't eaten. I was skin and bone. Basically, when he worked on me, he pulled off my lower base chakra, a black entity, which had been sitting on my lower base chakra. It had turned all the other chakras off and reversed the base chakra. I have meditated and done spiritual practicing since I was young. I was born in Singapore, so I grew up in Southeast Asia and moved to Australia when I was in the middle of school, I was around a ton of Eastern cultures, Islam and Hinduism. So anyways, he pulled this thing off. We actually took part a couple days later in a San Pedro ceremony. It takes place every single year in the forest of Stockholm. It opened my heart, and I allowed knowledge to pour right in. Unfortunately, my lifestyle didn't change. When I came to England, I carried out the same behaviors, and obviously I was addicted to this thing. It filled the void because I wasn't with my wife at the time. I had been alone for a long time, 
and being in a foreign country, I was homesick for my family and friends back in Australia. My friend and spiritual help gave me a stronger mind and I was able to fully let go. It didn't let go easily. I don't know how long it was with me, but when I walked, I was numb, walking numb. My senses were completely numb. It's gone now. I had a bunch of help from many people like Ian, Brandon, Daryl, and many others. It's finally gone. Wow, that is crazy. I can only imagine. He said this was with him for several years. I thought I was going to go crazy and Red Sample was with me just for a little over a month. Years? Oh, my Lord. I can't. I can't. I just am so glad that he is clear of it now and that he is in a better place. Okay, next up is a dear friend of mine from Ireland. She's a past guest. She's the editor for my first book, Dear Friend Kim O'Shea. She's part of Cork Supernatural Society. And, oh, she's out of Ireland. I've always wanted to go to Ireland. Super, super want to go there sometime. I'm going to read one of her experiences, and it is titled Strange Happenings at Redwood Castle. During the summer, we visited the castle by Duckett's Grove, Redwood Castle. It had a bunch of stuff going on there. It's a very nice castle. It has a strange energy, a very, very strange energy. We were there for about 12 hours, and we slept very peacefully there. Definitely certain parts of the castle were very intense. We were setting up the gear. The lady that owned the castle gave us a great tour of the place. Then she led us at the investigation, and she just kind of disappeared. I got my gear together, and I put new batteries and all the equipment. I usually do this before I leave the house, but that morning I had forgotten, so when I got there... I put fresh batteries in the camera and all the other stuff. We were walking around the chapel, which is just a room. There were two beautiful stained glass windows, very gorgeous. And I thought to myself, geez, those are very beautiful windows. I'd love to get a picture of them. And at that point, we weren't there anymore. So I tell the others that I'm going to go and take a picture and come right back. Well, I go downstairs and I try to take a picture and nothing happens. I tried to take a few more, and again, nothing happened. I looked at the camera, and it just kept coming up black. I go back upstairs, grabbed another fresh batch of batteries. I was just about to go back downstairs when Matt said, Are you going down to the chapel? And I told him that I was, and he asked me, Can you please take my audio recorder down there and put it down on the altar, please? And so I told him, Sure, no problem. Well, I go back down, and I reach for the door. It was slightly open. It was just a jar a few inches. I go to open the door the rest of the way so I could enter the chapel and something stopped me. And I thought, oh, I can't go in there. I stood outside and thought, oh no, what am I going to do? Matt, he's expecting me to put the recorder in there on the altar for him. I take a deep breath and I push the door open. I took a step in and oh no, I felt absolutely horrible. It was dark, but thankfully I had my torch with me. I literally ran. It was a small chapel, but I ran the five or six steps, put the recorder on the altar, and I ran back out. As soon as I got back outside, I thought to myself, okay, that was silly. That was ridiculous. Just because you're by yourself, stop being so silly. 
So I go back in, try to take pictures of the beautiful stained glass windows once again. I got my camera ready again, and this time the lens would not come out. It was stuck. I was bummed out, thinking that perhaps my camera was broken. I fiddled around with it for a bit. I took the batteries out, put them back in again. Nothing. I tried it again, and it switched back on. I could see through the viewfinder, but I couldn't get the camera to actually take pictures. The lens went back in, and it would not come back out again. Then I noticed that it said battery empty. This happened earlier as well, but I knew that wasn't the case. I went back upstairs. As I'm walking and muttering to myself, the camera came back on. The lens came out perfectly. And I said, Matt, will you please go to the chapel and take pictures in there? I made him go down there. <laughs> so he took pictures with his camera. No problem at all. Later on that night, we went back in the chapel to conduct a calling out session, just the four of us. We were just sitting in the pews and I noticed that something kept brushing against my face. I thought that perhaps it was just my hair blowing or a draft. It happened three or four times. And I looked around and I realized the door was shut. This was the only room in the castle that did not have broken windows or missing windows. It was completely sealed, so there would have been no draft. I was about to make a comment on it when Matt suddenly jumps up and says, Oh my god, my back! I've just been scratched! We looked and yeah, there were scratches on his back. Matt was sitting directly behind me. Matt had a camera in one hand and another tool in the other hand. And I know Matt anyways, he would not have done this to himself. A ghost could jump in front of him and say, Hi Matt, I'm a ghost. He will spend an hour trying to debunk it. He is the straightest guy you will ever meet. For him to get scratched? Huh, oh my god. We finally settled back down and one of the center lights suddenly turned on. We tried to debunk that. We tried many things, but we could not get it to turn back on. I really think something was in the chapel with us and it was something not good. Not good at all. And that's crazy about what was happening with her only, it seemed, in the chapel. Like, her friend was able to go in, had no issues. Okay, took a picture. Here you go. As easy as cake. But with her, it was like a lot going on. So very interesting stuff for sure. I also want to share another thing. And she talks about her most active location that she has ever been to. And being all over Ireland and wherever else she's investigated, that's no easy feat. I'm about to read you something titled Most Active. I think the most active location that I have investigated was Duckett's Grove in County Carlow. Everything was going on there. There were footsteps. There were carriages crunching over non-existent gravel. You could hear the carriage wheels turning. But there was no gravel. I was standing in the garden and I could hear a gardener digging. I had my torch. I shined it in the area. Nothing. Nobody was there. At one point, I felt hands touching my hair. Three of us felt it. We checked with a thermometer and there was a small blue spot on the back of our heads. We all had been touched. They all got touchy-filly here. We were in a little room. I just couldn't stand up. I felt like I was going to fall over. I kept shifting my weight, trying not to make noise during this investigation. And after I was saying to one of the girls, oh my God, did you hear me shouting to you? Except the other people heard me. Out of all the people, eight people said the same thing. It was really weird and there was no reason for it. 
another weird thing that happened that night, we were in a little room upstairs and we were sitting around a table. I was filming at the time and the table just lifted and all the gear fell on top of me. Everyone kept wanting to leave. They thought it was a bad energy, but I told them, no, this is what we came here for, you guys. We asked somebody if they wanted to join us and come to the table and there's no room. So they were just making room. One of the girls was sitting there and her chair was pulled backwards. We did capture it on film, not very clearly on my camera, because it had dropped when the other equipment had fell. Someone else was filming as well, and you can clearly see that her chair had suddenly just moved. Everybody thought the feeling in the room got really oppressive, but to me, it really just felt like the spirit wanted to sit down and join us. There was never any fear there. For me, it was just like he was just chilling out. That's all. Another thing that happened here at Duckett's Grove, the very first experience I had here, it was a big investigation. We were on our way to the garden. We were chatting away, just talking about the investigation, when suddenly we heard footsteps behind us. So the two of us turn around and say, are you looking for something? There was nobody there. Then, the next time we were there, I was supposed to drive there with one of the other investigators and they couldn't make it, so I ended up just going on my own. It took me five hours to get there and I got completely lost because it's really hard to find it once you get to Carlo Town. By the time I had finally gotten there, the investigation had already started. There were about 20 of them, a total of two groups that night, the guard, the caretaker, had taken me down to where one of the groups were. They were conducting a spirit box session at the time and they asked, do you know the name of the person who just joined us? She has been here before. Right away, my name came through, Kim. It was so clear. Okay, fair enough. They asked, can you tell us where Kim came from? She lives in a specific part of the country. Be specific. Again, very clearly a voice came through, West Cork. Super clear. It was so weird. It was amazing. I love that place. The best is yet to come at Duckett's Grove. This is my height to date when it comes to ghost hunting. At the end of one of the investigations, we all got together and we all went to the room at top where the table and the chair moved all on its own. We were there doing a big session. It was around three in the morning. One of my team was standing by the door and she heard noises outside in the yard. Well, we thought somebody was breaking in. The guard had gone home at that stage. They had given us the key. It was a completely Walden estate, but we thought maybe kids had broken in. All the cars were down there and were unlocked, so some of the people took off running down there to the courtyard. One of the investigators, she had a thermal imager. She was holding it up, and we could see her through the window. We could see the light showing. Six or seven of the lads went down there to see what was going on, and we stayed above and were watching them all fan out. Some went to the cars, others went to different parts of the grounds to see where she was going. When she got down to the garden, we just see her stop. They all came back up after a while, and they were very excited. They were chasing somebody. She could see it through the thermal imager. She didn't have a torch with her, but she kept running when suddenly the figure stopped running, and so did she. The figure turned, just stopped, and turned towards her. Without thinking, she took a thermal image photo of it. When all the rest of the lads came running behind her, she took a photo of them. 
She turned around and took a picture of them. They searched the whole area. They were closed in by 14-foot walls. There was no way out. When they checked the images, the first picture of the figure, the heat signatures on this thing was completely wrong. It was too bright. It was showing red and white, where when she took the picture of the guys coming in behind her, even though they were wearing clothing, you could see yellow. Just their faces and hands were red. This other unknown figure was all red and white. It was completely different. That was a big one. There was so much going on there that night, so many voices. I mean, it's an old mansion, a manor house. The man that owned it decided he wanted a castle, so he built himself a castle. I believe it's from the 1600s or 1700s. Authors note, (laughs) during the research I found that construction started in 1745 and was fully completed in 1825. So that's uh, 80 years of construction. Unbelievable. Anyways, back to her story. During the investigation, we were in the kitchen area. We were just standing there and we could hear movement in the corridor. There were five of us in the kitchen and we all heard it. We checked to see if it was one of the other teams, but nobody was near us. So we encouraged the spirits. Hey, come into the room. Please come in and join us. Don't be afraid. It took about 20 minutes. We all had our torches with us. So it was bright in there. We kept telling the spirits, come in, come in, please come have a chat with us. All of a sudden, you hear footsteps come into the room and walked all around us. Somebody in boots stomping around us. It was absolutely wonderful and amazing. The feeling we were getting from there, the energy, oh, it was just great. It was a really kind energy. I think it was some young fellow coming in to say hello. I would highly recommend Duckett's Grove to anyone. It's an absolutely fantastic place. Very cool stuff. Definitely sounds like an epic place to be investigating at for sure. I'll have to add that to my list. Duckett's Grove, here we go. (laughs) This week's special city shoutouts go to Zolte, Belgium. Scott City, Kansas. Sparta, Wisconsin. Waxhaw, North Carolina. Wolf City, Texas. And Salt St. Marie, Canada. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They are all phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? Ah, No need to fret. Just hit up any of those awesome podcast platforms such as Deezer, Overcast, Google Podcast, Hub Hopper, Basically, wherever you may roam, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. Thanks. Have a great day. And see you next week.